Amen. That was, that was beautiful. Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be back in Luke chapter 6 this morning, verses 27 through 36. So if you have your Bible, you can grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, if you have a bulletin, the portion of Scripture we'll be examining and studying this morning should be printed in your bulletin there. We read from the ESV translation this morning. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Uh, A good word, but a tough word this morning. So let us hear God's word. Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Plain. Uh, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. These words recalibrate our hearts. They recalibrate our focus. They recalibrate our expectations of ourselves and of one another. Give us, each and every single one this morning, a teachable spirit. Because we all should leave here today convicted by sin and yet comforted by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who are your enemies? You may think to yourself, I don't have any enemies. I don't have anyone that I dislike. That's not necessarily the question I'm asking. Who are your enemies? Who hates you? (laughs) According to verse 27, Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. In other words, those who detest you. They have hostility towards you. Just the sound of the mention of your name or the look of your face causes them to be disgruntled. Who are your enemies? Who are those who 
curse you, according to verse 28. It means not just necessarily a spiritual uh, situation where someone is calling down a God to, to curse you and bring evil or harm upon you, but who is someone that you know spreads lies about you and tries to poison the waters about you so that people might think that you lack character or lack credibility among them? Who is it that seeks to cause you harm by things they say about you? Who are your enemies? Who abuses you? Jesus says in verse 28 that we are to pray for those who abuse us. In other words, those who mistreat you. It could be someone who simply shows you disrespect and their attitude towards you. Who are your enemies? Sadly, for some of you, you may feel like that someone in your family is an enemy. Could be your parents. Could be your children. Sadly, it could even be your spouse. For others of us, as you heard the description of ways that can, people can be your enemy, you may think of a coworker or someone who used to be your friend or maybe even a neighbor. And unfortunately, for some of us, we may think of someone even within our church family that fits that description. If you have an enemy this morning, my question to you is, what is your typical mode of operation? How do you normally respond? Well, there are two sinful tendencies of how we can typically respond to our enemies. One response is to fight. Someone comes against you, you come back against them. You're kind of like the Hatfield, the Hatfields and McCoys. You don't go looking for a fight, but if those McCoys accuse you of killing their pig, then it's a good night for a fight. <laughs> but another response, potential response to this kind of conflict or enemies is not fight, but flight. Your tendency is not to try to eliminate your opponent, but your tendency is to hit the eject button and just get as far away from the conflict as you can. What Jesus offers for us this morning is a much more biblical response, a much more godly response of rather than fighting or flighting, but rather forgiving and engaging the people with grace. The big idea of this passage, if I was to, to summarize it, could simply summarize it with verse 31. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Or simply this, to summarize in my own words, give to others what you've been given in Christ. That's the big idea of this passage. That's the big idea of this message this morning because this message comes from this passage. That we're to give to others what God has given to us in Christ. In other words, show the grace you've been shown. Give the mercy you've been given. And so the first point that Jesus makes in verses 27 through 31 is this. What is your response to your enemy? 
What is your response to your enemy? How many of you have ever heard of the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Show of hands, okay. Now, Stephen Covey wrote that book a number of years ago. It was, it was a New York Times bestseller. And in the introduction of that book, before he gets into the, the seven habits of highly effective people, there's a foundational principle that, that Stephen Covey highlights in that book. And he says this, very significant. And I would say it, all truth is God's truth, so this is true, so it's ultimately God's truth, not Stephen Covey's truth. He says this, you cannot control how other people treat you. You cannot control what other people say about you. However, what you can control is how you respond to others. That's good. That's biblical. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here, that you can't control how other people treat you, but what you can control is how you respond to them. And what is, how does Jesus say we're supposed to respond to those who are our enemies? Well, he gives us a whole litany of commands in verses 27 through 31. And they're all imperatives in the Greek, which means they're not just suggestions. They are commands of how we are to respond to those who mistreat us. Now, before I get into these commands, I want you to hear what I'm about ready to say. We are convinced that God has not called us to preach moralism. When you leave here on Sunday mornings, I don't want you to hear that if God's going to love you, that you just got to pull yourself up by your spiritual, moral bootstraps. But rather, these commands should drive you to be obedient to Christ because you're ultimately motivated by God's grace and response to God's grace poured out in your life, which Jesus is going to highlight, particularly in verses 32 through 36. But I want to unpack the passage this morning in the order that Jesus has given us this morning. So what is the response that we should have to our enemies? Well, look at the litany of commands that Jesus gives us, starting in verse 27. But I say to you, love your enemies. There's the first command. He says to us, do good to those who hate you. It's an imperative, not a suggestion. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. That's a command. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give. It's a command. Give to everyone who begs from you. And for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The commands are love, do good, bless, pray, offer, give. Do not demand back. Do. Now why is this significant? Because it's radical. As D.R.E. Carson says, if we followed these, these commands of Jesus to the T, uh, we would think, perhaps be persuaded that Jesus is promoting passiveness, or we are to be passive people, that we're not supposed to, to have a military struggle whatsoever. That's not exactly what Jesus is getting at here. What Jesus is getting at here is a principle that we are to be generous, giving, patient, forgiving, merciful in the face of persecution, whether it come from within the church or outside the church. And this is radically contrasted against a principle that was reigning in that day and age, and you've heard about it before. It's called the lex talionis. You may not remember that word, but you're familiar with the terminology. It means an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so in the ancient Near East, that really was the principle that ruled and reigned the day. And the point of it, it was 
infinite in wisdom was this, that they wanted equitable justice in the kingdoms. In other words, if you punch me and knock out my tooth, it would be an, an exaggeration of me to chop off your head. Okay? That's not equitable justice. But if you punch out my tooth and I punch out your tooth, okay, we both lost a tooth, we both have a headache, that's justice. But in the face of that, Jesus comes with a very radical response. And he says, show mercy and grace to those who mistreat you. Is that typically how you respond? Not me. His name was Chad Harvey. We went to Mercer Christian Academy together back in the day. Mercer Christian Academy was the, the Christian school in my hometown, and it was housed by two fine churches. Uh, Johnson's Chapel was the church that housed the high school and the middle school part of the Christian Academy, and Maranatha Baptist Church was the church that graciously hosted the elementary school portion of that Christian Academy. Every day at recess, the, the, the recess would begin differently, but it typically ended the same way. Recess could either begin with us playing a game of freeze tag, a game of soccer, football, basketball, or ultimate frisbee, but usually recess ended the exact same way. Chad Harvey and Tanner Klein were in a fist fight by the end of recess. After a while, we forgot even why we were, why we were fighting. We just knew that we were, we were at odds with one another, we were enemies, and we went to Mr. Basham's office Almost every day. And by the way, with the name Basham, he was born and predestined to be a principal, wasn't he? Especially one that paddles. What does he do with them? He bashes them. That's right. His name was Chad Harvey, and after a while, we were motivated by grudges and revenge. Chad and I almost got expelled from Mercer Christian Academy. But we didn't because we, we just left. And when we got to the public school system, we realized it was a much bigger pond and we were much smaller fish than we dreamed. Years later, we would see one another on Main Street there in Princeton, West Virginia. Our eyes locked. We knew we had been enemies for years. In our conversation, we were able to apologize to one another. And he looked at me and he said, Tanner, we were just dumb kids holding grudges. I remember as he walked away from me that day, I remember thanking God that he forgave me. I'm praying for him. What's your response to your enemies? Is your mode of operation to hold a grudge and want to get revenge? Or is your mode of operation to want to show grace? Everything Jesus says in verses 27 
through 31 is motivated by grace, not a grudge. And what's interesting is that in verses 27 through 28 and in 31, the you is plural. It refers to burdens and things that people hold against us as the corporate body of Christ, the persecution we face as believers together. But in verses 29 through 30, the you is singular, which refers to individual conflicts, individual transgressions against one another. What's Jesus saying? Whether it be offenses that the church faces as a whole or offenses that you face as a personal and individual Christian in your walk with Christ, the principle is the same. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Show the grace you've been shown. I wrestled with this passage this week. I say this not to be disgruntled or argumentative. I say this to be instructive and discipling. I love this church. I love you. But it's no state secret (laughs) that there's a handful of you that I'm just not your cup of sunshine. I want you to know that's okay. I don't hold that against you. Because here's the reality there is something far greater and far bigger that unites us it's Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not united. By personalities, preferences, political persuasions, or even forms of leisure. The church of Jesus Christ is united by Christ and the gospel. So here's the deal. One of the most godly things we can learn to do is to love one another. Even though we may not want to hang out together on Saturday and grill burgers and watch the Gator football game. And that's okay. Dr. Alistair Begg says this, only a clown would expect everyone to like him. Only a clown. That is how we are to respond to one another in the church and outside the church, is to show one another grace because God has shown us much grace. Why? Why should I show you that, re- that kind of response? Because of the reasons given in verses 32 through 36. I want you to notice how gospel-centered and Christ-centered Jesus is Comments are in verses 32 through 36. 
He says in verses 32 through 34, if you, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. What is Jesus saying? Hey, guys, if you only love the people that love you, if you only like the people that like you, if you only lend to those who will give back to you, the most pagan sinner in the world lives like that. My dad was in a motorcycle gang, and I, I, as I read this passage this week, I thought it's exactly how the motorcycle gang operates. You love me, I love you. You lend to me, I'll lend back to you. You treat me good, I'll treat you good. That's just called justice. But Jesus says that we're called to go a step forward, not just to protect and preserve justice, but in our interrelations inter- with one another. We're to demonstrate gospel-centered grace, gospel-centered mercy, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting grace in our relationships and our interactions with one another. And there's a little Easter egg hidden in verses 32 through 34. Now, our English translations translate it wonderful and beautiful and accurate. The word, the Greek word, though, that's used for benefit and credit, don't miss it. It's charis. Sound familiar? I think we have a covenant child in this church named charis. What does that Greek word mean? Grace. I'm fully persuaded by the influence, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is intentionally using that, the Holy Spirit's intentionally using that word in these verses to demonstrate and communicate something to his church. He's saying this. If you just only love those who love you, if you only lend to those who lend to you, if you only show justice to those who show justice to you, where's the grace in it? Why should we show grace to others? Because God has shown grace to us. In other words, our response to abuse, to mistreatment, should be so radical. So contrary to what the world does that they're either left stunned or wondering why. Notice the Christ-centered, gospel-centered reasons that are given in verses 35 through 36. But love your enemies. That's a command. Love your enemies and do good. That's a command. And lend a command, expecting nothing in return and that your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Notice the Christ-centered response. Why should we show others the grace we've been shown? Because it is the response to the gospel. That Romans chapter 5 verses 6, 8, and 10 highlight repeatedly that Christ died for us while we were enemies of God the Father, while we were rebels. God came in Christ to reconcile us to himself. In other words, there is no way that you can offend me greater than how I've offended Christ. There's no way that you can disrespect me more than how I have disrespected Christ in some shape or form. The same is true of you. 
There's no way I could dishonor or disrespect you that's greater than how you have dishonored, disrespected, and disobeyed the holy, 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 eternal God of eternity. No way. And so why should we seek to be gracious to one another? Because that's what people do who have been showered with the grace of Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. And we're, we're only a week removed from Easter, so don't forget the prayer that Jesus prayed while he hung on the cross. While people were spitting at him, hurling insults at him, the ones that had abused him, the ones that were mocking him, what did he pray? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. What was Jesus doing? He was showing others grace in the face of their abuse, their mistreatment, their persecution of him. What's your motivation for living like this? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 36, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Now, let's get real practical here. I don't want you to leave in here with any delusions of grandeur that if you're merciful to people that they're going to be so grateful and send you a little handwritten thank you note. Say, oh, shucks, Tanner, thank you for being so merciful and gracious to me. Don't expect it. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit tells us how we respond to God's grace and mercy. Look at verse Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high God for he is kind to who? The grateful? (laughs) No, the ungrateful. To the righteous? No, to the evil, to the wicked. So when you leave here today and seek to be merciful and gracious to those, whether they're inside the church, outside the church, or your family members, I want you to temper your expectations because here's what you're going to receive. In all likelihood, someone that's totally ungrateful, wicked, and probably won't change their behavior one bit. Just want you to be ready. Why? Because that's Precisely how we respond to God and His grace. Show others the grace you've been shown. Be merciful to others as your Heavenly Father has been merciful to you. Why? Because it glorifies God. See, it's called practical theology. Barto ARP Church, I'm proud of the fact that we catechize our children, that we catechize our people. And what is the Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer? But what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But let me tell you this, when you've memorized that Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer, your discipleship has only begun. <laughs> Where you have to put tread on the tires is when people mistreat you, abuse you, say all kinds of vile, evil, honestly dishonest things about you and how you respond. Will you respond with grace and mercy or will you hold a grudge? Patrick and I often get together in his office and we pray for you. We pray for ourselves. And you know what one of the best things a pastor and associate pastor can do in a church? Teach us how to act like Christians that are motivated by grace 
in response to the gospel. Let me get real practical again. For a few of you that I'm not your cup of sunshine, I pray for you. But I want you to know what I pray for you. I don't pray that God would make you like me. (laughs) That would be silly and stupid. Here's what I pray. That God would feed your soul every Sunday morning. I pray that God would sanctify the taste buds of your heart. And I pray that you would come to worship hungry and teachable. Because here's what I do. I listen. And for some of you, here's what I've heard. You maybe don't like Pastor Tanner, and that's okay. But you didn't like Rob Patrick either. And you didn't like Dr. Ball either. Now, it could be that you just had a real crummy luck with three bum pastors in a row. Or it could be that what the Holy Spirit needs to do is a work in your heart. That you come here ready to learn and listen. And I say this to you not to be ugly, but to disciple you. To shepherd you. Because God has something great for you. God has something great for our church. He's working in our church. But know this, that a little leaven of discord can become great. And so we need to repent. We need to repent. And we need to be receptive to God's word. Because what will make a difference in this community is what God will do in this church. A church that is motivated by gratitude for God's grace. That we know that God has done far more for us than we could ever do for him. I end with this story that's a true story about Joseph, the Messiah warrior in Africa. Michael Card. How many of you ever heard of Michael Card? He He's the one who wrote the the hymn, El Shaddai. Everybody ever heard that hymn, El Shaddai? Okay, a few of you. Just a beautiful hymn. Here's what I would say. Uh, Michael Card shares this story about Joseph, the Messiah warrior. That goes like this. a true story. Joseph said that uh, Joseph was an African tribesman who was a warrior and had killed a number of people. And one day he was on a dirt road and he encountered someone who shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The Holy Spirit moved within his heart, moved within his life, that he prayed to receive Christ at that time. He repented of his sin. And Joseph was so overwhelmed by God's grace that all he could think about was all of his fellow tribesmen and how he wanted them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Joseph ran back to his tribe. And he told them about the suffering of Jesus Christ. He told them about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and how Jesus offered them eternal life and how Jesus offered them forgiveness of sins. And Joseph expected that everyone in the tribe, tribe's eyes would be opened up immediately, that their, their faces would radiate with joy, with the same joy that he had experienced. But instead, do you know what happened? Not only did they not listen to him, but they became angry at him. And the tribesmen grabbed Joseph, drug him out into the, mil, into the middle of the village, and women of the, of the tribe began beating him with barbed wire. Lashing barbed wire upon his body, and they drug him out into the, away from the village to leave him to die. And Michael Card's recounts this true story and says that it took Joseph a few days and he, he crawled to a spot where there was a, a source of water and he went in and out of consciousness for a few days. And eventually when he came to, he was burdened by the fact that perhaps he had not shared the gospel clearly with his village. And so do you know what he did? He went back. He went back and he said, as he re went, made his way back to the village, he thought, perhaps I didn't share the gospel clearly enough with them. Perhaps I didn't share it fully enough with them. And so as he got back to the tribe, he began announcing to the, to the tribe how Jesus had come to die for their sins, how Jesus had come to reconcile them to himself. And once again, Joseph was met with violent anger from the tribesmen. They drug him back out into the middle of the village. And the women grabbed the barbed wire again and began lashing him once again all over his body and began making wounds that were beginning to heal fresh again. And they drug him out into the middle of the bush to leave him for dead. At that point, what would you do? I could tell you what I would do. I would either fight or flight. Here's what Joseph did. He said, perhaps I didn't share the gospel clearly enough with them. Joseph made his way back to his village and his tribesmen. And before he could even open his mouth, the tribesmen grabbed him again, threw him on the ground, and the women began beating him for the third time with barbed wire. And as he pleaded with them, he said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And as the women of the tribe began beating him, Joseph kept on pleading with them, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And just before Joseph went into unconsciousness, he noticed that the women that were beating him with the barbed wire began to weep. And when he came to, when Joseph came to, he was lying in his bed. 
within the village. And the women that had been beating him were now caring for him. And Michael Card recounts, and every person in the village came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father has been merciful to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to know you. Not just know about you. Father, I thank you for the Barto ARP Church. We love this church. Father, I thank you for making us a loving church, a generous church, a giving church, a patient church, a long-suffering church. But please don't stop. We want to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And so, Lord, I pray that today you'd forgive me for the moments when I hold grudges rather than show grace. Forgive me, Father, for the moments when I fight, when I want to fight and pout rather than forgive and pray. Help us to do the right thing, not just so we can be told and we're self-righteous and excited that we did the right thing, but help us to do the right things for the right reason because we're motivated by gratitude for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond together with our